Proverbs chapter 29, and I hope you're excited about this uh, week of Independence Week. It's always a very fun week. I do want to remind if you have any uh, children that have not registered for camp yet, I believe there's still time, and uh, tomorrow is the beginning of the second uh, kids' week of camp, and we're looking forward to see what God is going to do throughout this week. The first week, they had, I believe, 91 campers, and uh, quite a few of them got saved, and uh, we're just so thankful for what God is doing there at uh, Camp Loma de Vida there in Edinburgh, and uh, we're excited to see what's going to happen in this second week of camp as uh, more kids, new kids come and uh, soak in the Word of God. They, they have a time where they can have fun and play, but they also really, the main purpose of the camp isn't just so the kids can have fun and something to do in the summer, but it really is to give them the gospel and talk about the gospel. And, uh, and I know it's going to be something that's going to be wonderful for them, so I hope they're excited about it. I hope you're excited as a parent. Uh, some of you parents are maybe too excited, like, let's get these kids out of the house uh, already, but uh, it, it's going to be a great, great week, and I'm so excited about that. And I'm also excited about being back uh, here the last two weeks. I was gone, and uh, thank you for those that were praying. Uh, if I could just share real quick in uh, Las Vegas, while we were there last week, we were at a missions conference, me and uh, my dad, senior pastor, and... They have a Spanish ministry at Liberty Baptist Church there in Las Vegas, and uh, so we were kind of sharing a little bit of the load. I say sharing, he preached five times, I did once, so it wasn't too much sharing, but um, it, was, uh, it was just we were able to minister to them, and, and if you would, pray for them, keep them in your prayers. They're a, a Spanish ministry that has been without a pastor for the last seven months, and uh, the way that they've been getting fed spiritually is that the English pastor has been preaching to them through a translator. And uh, many of you know that uh, maybe are bilingual or anyone that's listened to a message through a translator, it's not quite the same. So they were so excited for, uh, for our pastor to be there and to just hear the message straight through all in Spanish. Uh, they were wonderful, wonderful, gracious people. And we just really, really enjoyed being there with them. Um, it was amazing uh, the response that they gave. They doubled their missions, faith promise giving at the end of the week. And uh, they were very sensitive to the voice of God as, as they were going throughout the week. And so we just had a fantastic time over there. But as much fun as I had in Las Vegas, there's nothing like being at home. Uh, and uh, the, the weather was about the same over there. I was looking forward. I thought, well, maybe the weather's going to be better. It wasn't. It was like 90, uh, except there's just not a whole lot of humidity there. So when it's like 95, 97, you, you feel hot, but you're not like sweating everywhere. So that was nice. I didn't have to shower, you know, four times a day. It was, uh, it was, it was not as much sweat in that heat. But, uh, but we had a, a, just a wonderful time being over there. But it is great to be back home and to, and to be here uh, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead to Proverbs chapter 29. And uh, we're just going to have a, a message, really uh, just a one-time message for this Sunday. And then next Sunday, we're going to start a new series called Kingdom Living. Uh, we're going to be studying Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and I know it's going to be a, a great study, hopefully something that will be an encouragement and a help to you, uh, but before we dive into that, I just, uh, Lord, laid this on my heart and uh, want to share this message, uh, especially throughout this week as we, uh, as we celebrate Independence Day here in America. I just felt like it was something that we need to be reminded about as we, as we celebrate this week. Proverbs 29, verse number 18. We're just going to look at one verse this morning, and, uh, and then from there, jump right into the message. Proverbs 29, verse 18. says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law 
Happy is he. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, as we study this passage this morning, I pray that first of all, you'd fill me with your spirit. May I have the words to communicate clearly the, word, the message that you have put on my heart. Father, I pray that we would, at this moment, get focused and, and, and get ready to grow in our walk with you as we listen to your word. Oh, Father, I pray that your spirit would take control now, that your spirit would fill me, and that we would be receptive to your word this morning, that the Holy Spirit would begin to show us in our lives areas that we need to be stronger in and areas where we need to have more of a vision in our life. And that, Father, as a result of that, we might be able to move forward in our Christian life in a way that is healthy, but in a way that pleases you and in a way that can impact others as we live our Christian life day to day. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us now this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the greatest need in America today is more vision. More vision is what we need as a nation. It's what we need as families. It's what we need as a church. More vision. What we don't need necessarily is bigger schools. We don't re need really larger bank accounts. We don't really need better health care, though all of those things may not be bad in and of, of its, itself, but, but really what the greatest need that we have this morning and what we need to understand as Christians is that the greatest need that our neighbors have and the greatest need that we have today is more vision in our life. Now, the book of Proverbs is written by a man by the name of King Solomon. He's generally considered the wisest man to ever live on this earth other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he was a man that God gave just an extreme amount of vision, in fact, of wisdom. In fact, uh, the point when King Solomon was going to become king, God said, uh, Solomon, I want you to ask me for anything. And anything that you ask of me, I will give you. I don't care what it is, I'm giving you a blank check you ask me, whatever you ask of me, I'm going to give you. And Solomon's one request was this. He said, God, you've put me in a position to lead a great people, your people. And he said, I cannot lead them unless you give me wisdom. So the one thing I ask is for wisdom. And God was so pleased with that. He said, because you have asked me for wisdom and you didn't ask me for gold and you didn't ask me uh, for uh, more possessions, you didn't ask me for anything else, you just asked me for wisdom. He said, but with wisdom comes all of that. And he said, I'm going to increase uh, your riches. And I'm going to increase your possessions. I'm going to increase your kingdom and your power. All because you looked uh, and asked for wisdom. Well, in his lifetime, uh, much of that wisdom was written down. And what we have as the book of Proverbs, much of it was written by King Solomon. Now, the book of Proverbs is a poetic book. All right, It was written in Hebrew. And much of it was written poetically so that people can remember these biblical truths. Solomon was trying to give them biblical truth in a way that they could memorize and remember. Now, in our English language, of course, it's translated from the Hebrew, what we have in our Bibles. And sometimes the rhythm and the rhyme of the poetry goes well. Sometimes it doesn't, right? Because it's not really in our language originally. So... 
anytime you're trying to translate something, sometimes it rhymes, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, sometimes it goes together, the words just fit perfectly, and sometimes it doesn't. But the book of Proverbs, with all these wise sayings that are kind of poetic in what they say, teach us so much. For instance, the uh, book of Proverbs will teach us that uh, even a child is known by his doings. In other words, even a, a child knows when he's doing right and he's doing wrong. Uh, th there's that reality that children know what they're doing. They can take responsibility for the, their actions. And an easy way to remember that truth was even a child is known by his doings. Uh, there is the uh, wise saying that says a, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, yea, better than silver or gold. And there he's talking about reputation and having the right kind of character and reputation in your life, the right kind of testimony. And, uh, and Solomon was pointing out the fact that if you have a good name, a good testimony, that's far better than having uh, the most money in the world or having the nicest house or the nicest car in the world. If you just have a good name, it's better than any of that. And so all of these truths are like, uh, are like that. They're, they're given in a poetic way so that the people would remember, oh, I re that, that's a truth that I need to live by. That's something that I need to apply into my life. And they're all practical truths, but they're, they're all poetic in the way they're given. Well, here in Pro uh, Proverbs chapter 29, uh, Solomon is talking to his son. He knows his son's going to be the next king. And he's telling his son Rehoboam that if he's going to be a good king, that he's going to have to have some vision in his life. He's going to have, some, have to have a, a righteous character, something that is going to be good and pleasing God. And if he can do that in his life, then God can bless him. Then God will be able to make him a good ruler. But if he cannot do that, if he lacks vision in his life, then there are consequences with that as well. So you read through the chapter, you'll get all the way to the verse that we're going to study this morning, verse number 18. And it's a really easy truth to remember. He says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. He says, where there is no vision. You know, if you're going to understand what that has to mean, what, what re really this verse, what is it trying to teach us? You're going to have to kind of break down some of the words and you're going to have to ask yourself, well, what exactly is vision? What is vision that he's talking about here in this verse? Because, you know, vision is used in a, in a variety of ways in our English language, is it not? Uh, for instance, sometimes we talk about vision with people that wear glasses, eyeglasses. Uh, we say, okay, um, the reason you're wearing those glasses is to correct your vision. And what we're talking about is what you literally see. Sometimes without glasses, people can see a little bit blurry they, or they can't uh, read. They, they're either nearsighted or, nearsighted or farsighted. And, and what the eyeglasses do is it helps correct their vision. And what we're talking about when we say correct their vision, we're talking about literally what they can see. But here in verse number 18, when he's talking about vision, he's not talking about eyeglasses. Now, another way that we talk about vision and use the word vision in the English language is that we talk about vision as someone that sees the potential of something before everyone else does. We usually think of a man here in America by the name of Walt Disney. Walt Disney, we say, is a man of great vision. Uh, he was one that was an animator, he was an artist, and he brought a lot of joy to, uh, to children by creating this character that we know as Mickey Mouse. 
uh, after that and the success of that, he decided, man, I, I'd like to start a, a theme park. And so uh, he built a theme park in the city of Los Angeles known as Disneyland. And his vision was, I'd like to make a place where families could come. There'll be rides. They can ride, have fellowship together, build memories together as families. And and uh, we'll build that theme park that way with that in mind. And, and today there's one in uh, Los Angeles. The, the original one is still there. But then there's a massive one in Orlando known as Disney World. And Disney World is so big that the whole park of Disneyland, the whole uh, parking structure and the park itself can fit in the parking lot at Disney World. I mean, it's a massive, massive park in Disney World. And uh, in fact, in Walt Disney's life, he never saw the final product of Disney World. Just a few years before it opened, he, he died. And his brother had to come and, and take over the project and finish it. And one man that also was a part of that uh, process on the day when they were cutting the ribbon and, and opening, the grand opening of Disney World, uh, was there with Mrs. Disney, uh, uh, Walt's wife, and, and he said, you know, I wish Walt would have been here to be able to see this. And she turned and looked at the man, and she said, we're standing here because Walt did see it. We said, oh, a man of vision is one that sees things that others maybe don't see, the potential that's there, and, and can create something that no one else thought of. And, and we kind of think of vision that way. But you know, in verse number 18, he's not even talking about that kind of vision. King Solomon isn't talking about being able to see things that others do not see, the potential there. The word here, vision, is the Hebrew word kazan, and that means, the word vision literally here means divine revelation from God. There in your notes, you can put the definition of vision here is divine revelation of God. Or you can just put the message of God for me. The message of God, the word of God for me. That's literally what that word means. When he's talking about vision, he's talking about the word of God. So you can read it this way if you want to try to remember this saying. Where there is no word of God, the people perish. Where there is no teaching and preaching of the word of God, then there is suffering. The people perish. We find that vision here is not only the message of God, but there's another word there that sometimes is a little bit different for us. That's the word perish. Sometimes we think of the word perish meaning to, like, to die, to, to cease from existing, like that perished. And, and we use it that way like there's no more. It's no more. But here the word perish doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that where there is no word of God, the people literally die. That's not what it's talking about there. The word perish here, and you can put this in your notes, the word perish here means to cast off restraint. To cast off restraint. To have no rules. To have anarchy. So what the... Verse says, Solomon is saying, where there is no teaching and preaching of the word of God, where the message of God is not being given, the people cast off restraint. In other words, the people turn it to anarchy. Everything goes. There is no truth. And truth is whatever you want to make it. It becomes just chaos, in other words. I'll say this again. 
America's greatest need today is biblical vision. It's the teaching and preaching of God's word because without it, we cast off restraint. We go into anarchy and chaos. Much of what we are living through here in our nation during this time is because generations before us decided we're going to build our foundation on the truth of the word of God. And if you study the history of America, you'll find many of our founding fathers were Christians. They were God-fearing men. When they wrote the Constitution and when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, they put in there that we are made free by God. The liberty that we have is not because of our armies, but because of God. And the, that God has given us the freedom and liberties that we experience as human beings. And they made the foundation of this nation the Word of God. But you know, in the last 60, 70, 80 years, those of our nation, many of our leaders have decided that they no longer want the Word of God to be part of our nation. There's many families in our neighborhoods that have decided we don't want the Word of God to be what we follow after, what we build our lives upon and build our lives around. And because of that, we begin to experience a little bit of anarchy, of chaos, of confusion of casting off of restraint. And that's why you can go to schools today and they don't really know or can define. They're, they're arguing, believe it or not, if we can really tell what gender someone is. How do you get to a place where you can't even figure out what a gender is? Well, we can't even figure out what the word marriage means. Well, what is marriage? Who goes into a marriage? We can't even divide, de, uh, define the most simplest of terms. You know why? Because we've cast off restraint. Because we've cast off the vision that we need. The teaching and preaching of God's word is beginning to disappear. And with that, people just cast off restraint. King Solomon is sharing this truth with his son. He's saying, listen, if we don't have the word of God, son, if you don't make the word of God what you're going to build your rulership on, the people will be lost. The people will perish. I want to share with you just three aspects really quick this morning about this verse and about this truth that I think we need to think about today, especially this week. And I don't just mean about thinking about how this applies to America in general because we're part of America. But how does it apply to my family? And how does it apply to me as a Christian this morning? Because this, this truth has a great bearing on where you and I end up in our life. So I want you to notice, first of all, there in your notes, the principle. The principle that is given, and it's a very, very easy principle to remember. And you can write this somewhere in your notes if you'd like. Here's the principle that he's trying to teach his son. And it's this. Disobedience is destructive while obedience is delightful. Disobedience is destructive. That's where he says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he, he's saying. But obedience is very much delightful. When you think about the principle that he's teaching his son, you can think about the negative and the positive. I want you to notice, first of all, the negative this morning. The negative of that principle. The negative of what exactly happens when there is no more word, uh, word of God? 
If you want to know what happens to a society when they've cast God out, listen, you can see throughout history how that has happened. You can look in the, in the Bible, if you read in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. You want to see what happens in a society like that? Just read Israel's history in the book of Judges. You'll find all kinds of atrocities. You'll find all kinds of, uh, uh, of destruction in their society. As soon as the word of God begins to be taken out, there are negative consequences that happen. You know, it's always been the devil's way to rebel. This of casting out the word of God. It was God's word that taught Lucifer that there is only one God. But Lucifer said in his heart, I will be like him. Notice that Lucifer didn't say, uh, I, I'm going to be better than him. I'm going to be greater than God. He just said, I want to be like God. And you'll notice there in Isaiah as he shares, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. We find that Satan's way has always been to cast off whatever God has said. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? Did God really say this? Is that really what God means? And listen, if there's something that's eating up our churches today, it's this attitude. Did God really say that? If you look at most denominations in our country, they're shrinking. People going to church, and I'll talk a little bit about this later in our message, but it's going down. Christianity is not growing as much as it used to here in America. And we say, why is that happening? Because there's no vision. Because we've decided to cast off what God has said. We've adopted this philosophy. Hath God really said that? Is this really what God means when he says it? Does God really mean what he says? And does he really say what he means? Very simply, King Solomon told his son, listen, the negative is this. When there's disobedience and when we disregard the word of God, we begin to cast off restraints. We invite anarchy and chaos into our life. Can I just make this a little bit more personal? Not just America, but how about you this morning? How much does the word of God have of you and of me? How much? The song that we sang a little bit earlier, that was the first time I'd ever heard that song, He Will Hold Me. Aren't you glad that God holds us? Because there are times in my life I can tell you why I've let go of God. But thank God we serve a God that says, oh, that doesn't say, oh, when you let me go, I'll let you go. That God still holds us even when we are not holding on to him. What makes us let go of God many times is casting out the word of God. Not allowing it to begin to penetrate into our lives. Not allowing the word of God to do its work in us. And we find that the negative of that is that we begin to allow anarchy and chaos and confusion into our life. 
But I want you to notice the positive of what he says in this principle. But obedience is delightful. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. You want to have joy in your life? You want to have happiness in your life? You want to have less regret in your life? Then have obedience in your life. If you can just obey, if we can just decide this morning, I want to obey, I want to apply the word of God into my life, I want to live out its truth, then you'll find joy comes with it. There's a lot of delighting in it. The Bible says, delight thyself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of thine heart. Matthew 11 says, come unto me all ye that are labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus was trying to teach is, listen, there's joy in obedience. The hymn says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Man, the positive side of this principle is just simply saying, if I can just have obedience, I can have joy. You know, so many people today don't experience joy in their life, and they think it's because they don't have the dream job that they wanted. And they think it's because they don't have the income that they thought they were going to make. And they sometimes believe, well, I just haven't got into the right house yet. And I really haven't bought the right car yet. And I, I really haven't met the right person yet. But as soon as those things happen, I'll be happy. And for their whole life, they're miserable. What happens? Because they think that they can find happiness outside of obedience to God. And there isn't. I don't care how much a billionaire might talk about how great and successful his life is. I can tell you if he doesn't have Christ, he doesn't have happiness. I don't care how many interviews you might want to watch on the E! channel or any other channel of Hollywood and these actors and celebrities. As much as they want to try to uh, give off this vibe that they're just so happy and so successful, you find that many of them take their own life. And they're miserable. And they're married four or five times and they, they never can find the right person because they think, oh, it's this person that's not making me happy. So I got to let that person go and go find the one that's going to make me happy. And then they, they go from different house to different house and buying, buying, and buying. And they, they spend their money sometimes into homelessness. And, and they, they, just, they just think, if I can just find this and have this, I'll be happy. And they never understand. Happiness is only found in obedience to Christ. I'm talking about real joy. Something that really satisfies your life. Now, let me just say something about obedience really quick here. Obedience is not a painless process. It's not something that is easy. I know uh, Jesus said, my yoke is easy. And what he's talking about is the consequences of what happens in following and doing right is so much easier than the consequences that come from doing wrong. But in doing right, there's also that process that is sometimes painful. Uh, uh, Paul told Timothy there in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, if you decide that in your work you're going to stand up for what is right, you might have people that make fun of you. If you decide sometimes in your family that you say, I'm just going to do what's right in this family, sometimes you'll have family members that criticize you for standing for what you're doing. You know, 
doing what is right and obeying the word of God doesn't always bring into your life all this, this uh, painlessness that, oh, the life is just so easy. I have no worries and I, I don't have to have any anxiety and I don't have to have any sort of pain. I don't have any loss in my life. Can I tell you, God never promised a life like that. What Jesus was talking about was, you know, when you suffer doing right, you'll find that even in the most tragic of situations, you'll have peace. That even in the most sorrowful and disastrous situations, that you can have joy. Because you'll find that obedience brings that with it. That's why Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, if you can just make it through that process, man, you'll look back and you'll say, I oh, don't regret it. The principle that Solomon is teaching in this verse is very simple. Disobedience is destructive, but obedience, man, it's delightful. But I want you to think about this second aspect, and that's the picture that he paints for his son. The picture that he paints for his son. I want you to consider this, the picture of destruction. The picture of destruction you see, a falling from God's protection and blessing is the destruction that comes with disobedience, with casting off the word of God. With teaching and preaching of God's word comes God's blessings upon those that hear it and those that obey it. Yet when we decide in our life that we're going to neglect it, when we decide that we're going to reject it, when we decide that the consequences of such actions are going to be what we want in our life, then you start to experience Not only confusion, but destruction in your life. You know, it's beyond a coincidence that every social indicator took a nosedive once prayer and the Bible were taken out of our schools. I want to give you some statistics. You'll see them there on the screen. After this happened, since that happened, you'll find that criminal arrest of teens is up 150%. Teen suicides from ages 15 to 19 is up 450%. Illegal drug activity is up 6,000%. Child abuse cases is up 2,300%. Divorce is up 350%. Violent crimes has risen by 350%. All since the time that prayer and the Bible were taken out of our schools. You say, why is our nation where we're at? Sometimes we ask ourselves, why is my family in this situation? And you ask yourself, why am I in this situation? Many times it's because we've cast off the word of God. And where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no preaching and teaching of the word of God, then people find chaos and confusion and anarchy in their life. We find that the picture that he gives to his son is this one of destruction without God without the word of God without listening to what God has for me and for you listen it it's only going to bring destruction in our life but then he paints the picture of delight man he says listen yes there there is that of casting off there is that of perishing but then there is also that of happiness and joy can I say that the light that is found in God is a joy that it's really indescribable. You look at Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 17 to 19 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth all knowledge 
that you might be filled with the fullness of God. That that passeth all knowledge. You know the delight of being a Christian? I'm telling you, you can't put it into words. Can I say if you've been walking with God any length of time, you know the delight that comes with it. You can ask anyone that perhaps has gotten saved later in their life. Perhaps they were drunks or drug addicts. And they say, the moment I came in contact with Jesus, the moment that Jesus forgave me and became my Savior, everything changed. Everything. And then they try to describe what that is. And many times you'll see them, they begin to cry and shed tears because there's just no words to describe how life has changed. How much better life is. Because obedience brings with it delight. Can I say this morning, you look at a man that has never tasted a drop of alcohol in his life. I don't know what it means to be drunk because I've never experienced that. I don't know what illegal drugs taste like. I've never smoked pot or any other kind of drug. It's not something I've ever tried. It's nothing I've ever known in my life. And let me tell you something. I don't feel like I've missed on, on anything. Anything. I've known many of uh, uh, people that were my age that got into that. And oh, how their life has crumbled. Oh, how their marriages have dissolved. And now they hate that wife or they hate that husband. And how uh, their children don't love them and don't want to be around them. I've seen as a, as a husband gets drunk and begins to hit his wife and beats her senseless. The man, uh, the woman that he said at one point in his life, I love you more than life itself. But then he lets some substance get in him known as alcohol. The Bible calls it a poison. The Bible says if you're foolish enough to take that, you're a fool. That's what the Bible says. That very same person. And by the way, they never show you that in the commercials. They never show you the families that have been torn apart because a child got in a car wreck because of a drunken driver and was killed at age five or nine. Never got to live life and experience things because some person decided, I will drink this poison and I'm going to have a good time and have fun. They're looking for something to give them joy. But let me tell you something. There's no joy when you cast off the word of God. But you find so many like that. And he tries to paint this picture. And he says, son, I'm telling you, there's joy. He that keepeth the law, by the way, the law there is the word of God. But he that keepeth the law or the word of God, happy is he. Let me tell you something. I tell the teens all the time, I'm happy in my marriage. Love my wife. I love life. I really do. It, it's, it's pretty awesome. I, I kind of have like the view, if, if God comes today, great. And if he doesn't, great. Life's just good. Love being at our church. I love the people of our church. I love hanging out and talking about crazy, dumb things. It's fun. It's fun to be around God's people. We're going to have a cook-off tonight. It's going to be fun. We're going to have no alcohol here, and yet we're going to have more happiness and joy than, than many bars in town, I can tell you that. I mean, there's just something about being a Christian 
that you can't describe. It's, it's just incomparable. We find the picture that he paints for his son. He says, man, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Man, I, I know if you're here this morning and you've walked with God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I can see some heads doing this because they know. You've experienced it. You're not looking at me going, what's he talking about? You know it. Your family knows it. And you're going, you know what? He's right on. You see, the picture of delight, you want that joy in your life, that's where it's found. Oh, can I say, if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, man, listen, you're missing out on the greatest joy of your life. You're looking for something that you'll never find in anything else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You find you'll have the forgiveness of sins, you'll have heaven as your new home, but you'll have joy in your life. You'll have purpose in your life. You'll have peace in your life that comes through Jesus Christ. Man, I'm telling you, there's nothing better than being a Christian. Nothing better. It really isn't. I know a lot of people, and you can see them on TV all the time. On the, they're fanatic about their team. Yeah, the, the Spurs are the best. The Cowboys are the best. The Mavericks are the best. And they cheer, and they pay money, and they're so excited, and they're unashamed about how excited they are about rooting for a shirt. By the way, that's all you're rooting for is a shirt, right? Because then the player changes teams, and then you're booing him. The same guy that, yes, you know, last year was wearing the shirt that you liked, you're like, yeah, and then he changes team. You're like, that guy stinks. I hate him. All he did was change shirts. So we're cheering for shirts, and cheering for shirts, we're excited. But so many times we miss out on the, the excitement of just being a Christian. Let me tell you something. It's the greatest thing, the greatest choice I ever made in my life. Then I want you to notice the third aspect of this truth. Not only the principle that we need to have in our life, not only the picture of what it does, but notice the practice of it. The practice. What is the practical application of this truth? There's two aspects to that practicalness. Number one is the neglect. The neglect of this truth in our daily life. Can I tell you, statistics say that only 19% of churchgoers personally read the Bible every day. 19%. That's one out of five who call themselves Christians. All five say they're Christians, but only one of them reads their Bible every day. Can I say one out of five never read the Bible? Statistically, that's what has been shown. One out of five never even read the Bible. One out of five that go to church really don't. And one out of five that call themselves Christians never even read the Bible. A recent life waste research study found that only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. In other words, statistically, and I hope that statistic's not true in our church, but statistically in most churches, only 40% of us that are congregating each week read the Bible only once a week at most. Another study was done that even with a broader definition of what being a faithful church attendee goes, they said, if you just go three, three times in two months, three out of eight Sundays, three times in two months, if you go to church three times, we're going to count you as a regular attender, as a churchgoer, and you know that only 
3% of Christians could still fit in that category as being, yes, I'm a church goer. That's one out of four. You say, what's wrong with our churches today? We're not, we're not living this truth. The practice of it is being neglected. And when there's neglect that way, listen, God's blessing goes away. We're living in America the blessings of those that sacrificed before us. If you ever read the pilgrim story, you'll find when they landed at Plymouth Rock, how many of them died that first winter? What were they coming for? Religious liberty and freedom. They were looking for a place where they could worship God as they saw fit, as the word of God taught. And they sacrificed. And here we are in air condition with pews, with beautiful facilities. And only one out of four who call themselves Christians can make it. Simply saying, the practice is being neglected by so many today. We feel like church is too much. It asks too much from us. But I wonder if we've ever thought about what happens when there is no church. And I want you to notice the application of this truth. What happens when you apply it? And I say, first of all, you have new life. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Man, when you can apply the truth of the word of God, you're happy because you have new life. Listen, if that's the case, let me just give you something real practical to do about that. Share the gospel. Share that new life with somebody else. Number two, spiritual growth. When we apply it, we have and experience spiritual growth in our life. So let me tell you, if you want to experience, just love and believe the Bible. Just love and believe it. You'll start experiencing spiritual growth as that happens. First Peter 2 talks about that. The third thing that happens when you apply it is unity and love. So you encourage others. Can I, can I say as, as, as Bethany Baptist Church, listen, look for ways to encourage somebody this today. And there's so many ways to do it. Maybe on the way out as y'all go to class, let you see somebody and say, hey man, I like your tie. You look really nice today. I like that dress. And that's encouraging. Or maybe see somebody and say, hey, I prayed for you this week, if you prayed for them. But encourage them. Number four, when we apply this truth, and this is lastly, we have joy and happiness. So let me give you something practical there. Build your relationship with God daily. Build it daily. Get a devotional. Get a Bible. Have some time of prayer and just build it. Build it daily. Say, God, I, I want to I meet with you every day. Just four practical truths. New life, I need to share the gospel. Spiritual growth, I need to love and believe the Bible. Unity and love, I need to encourage others. And joy and happiness, I need to build that relationship with God. Acts chapter 2 speaks of that. You know, this morning, the biblical truth is, is very clear. For there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. It's real, it's real clear. You can see the principle. You can see the picture that it paints. You can see the practice that is required in your life. 
But I wonder, are you living this truth today? Do you have the right kind of vision in your life? I mean, is the vision God-centered or me-centered? Or maybe today you haven't found that joy because you haven't found Jesus Christ. Man, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. We're going to have a, an opportunity to do that in just a few moments. To just give your life to Christ and experience the joy that he gives. You know, Adoniram Judson was a man that went to Burma in the year 1812, him and his wife Anna. When he graduated from Bible college, he knew Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, very, very educated. Lots of churches wanted him. One church in Boston, which was near where he grew up. And his family was all happy that they offered him the pastorship. And they said, Adoniram, uh, are you going to take that, that church? You know, Adoniram said to them, he said, I can't do it. He says, I, I have a burden that God has placed on my heart. And though I know I could, I could live better in Boston, and though I know that the church is looking for a pastor. He said, God has placed on my heart to go to the country of Burma and share there in Burma the word of God to people who have never even heard the name of Jesus, not even once in their life. The year 1812, he went over there with his wife. Stayed there for several decades. Not several years, several decades. At the end of his ministry, he was able to translate the Bible into Burmese, and he had a goal of having a church of just 100. If he could just do that, he felt like God would be able to do something. At the end, he had more than 100 in his church. But after he died, he left that Bible translated. They began to use that Bible in the Burmese language, and just two decades or so after, over 50,000 people there in, the, in Burma had come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Did you know that behind the United States and behind the country of India, the, third, the country with the third most Baptists in the world is the country of Burma? Why? Because Adoniram and Anna had a vision. All I'm saying today is let's have a vision. Because where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And Oh, Father, what a wonderful blessing to live in the place that we live today. Oh, in a country that allows us the privilege to be able and the freedom to just study your word. Oh, to be followers of you without fear of persecution. Oh, but Father, how that's led so many of us to forget some of the truth that your word teaches. Oh, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would have a vision for you. Oh, Father, work during this time. As the pianist just plays one stanza, just really quick, perhaps you're here and you're saying, Pastor, you know what? Talk about that biblical vision. That's what I need. That's what I need this summer. That's what my family needs. Would you just pray for me that I could have that vision in my life? Would you raise your hand? God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you. I see them. God bless you. I see them. Many hands all over the auditorium. God bless you. Perhaps you're here this morning and 
you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're saying, Pastor, I've not experienced that joy. I can't think of a moment where I gave my life to Jesus and asked him to forgive me of my sin, to give me a joy everlasting and salvation in him. But I'd like to do that today. If that's someone's decision, would you just raise your hands? I'd love for someone to share with you how you can know for sure that Jesus is your Savior. Is anyone like that? Father, we thank you so much once again for working and speaking to us this morning. I pray now that you would just help us to meditate over what we've heard and to apply it into our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a great challenge this morning as we stand to our feet.